0: Uh, Would you open your Bible to the book of Acts chapter 2? While you're doing that, my name is Darren. I am one of the pastors here, and we're just so glad you're here. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. I'm third service, and I am especially punchy right now. (laughs) When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Let's read that again. When the day of Pentecost came. They were all together in one place. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask for your word to be a lamp and a light for us. With a world that seems so upside down and so spun up and divided, and we just pray that this word today will be a light for us in how we navigate these times. And for the... Just the hecticness of many of our days, Lord. I just I pray that that stuff will just fall away, technology fall away. We might just have a few moments hearing from you this morning. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. This is an interesting little vignette because this is like a group of people that you know. Was it Sesame Street? Can you guess which one is not like the other? You remember I was talking about the Sesame Street. can you guess which one is not like the other? And in this little group of people in Acts 2, verse 1, was a uh, tax collector who was obviously pro-government, and you had Simon the Zealot, who was, let's burn the whole thing down, like an arsonist visionary, you know, like, we're going to burn this thing down. You got fishermen. You got. I mean, there was this amalgamation of humanity that was not just all together, because we are all together here physically, but that's not the word. The word is they were together. In fact, that word is going to be used a few more times in Acts. And one of the times it's used is when the group was rioting, pushing down the gates. They were all together in their hearts and in their minds, and they were in one place. And I'm intrigued by that because I feel like that tells us that that was obviously possible if those guys could do it, while simultaneously being in a world that feels more divided uh, than ever, like, if you're young, you might just think this is how it normally is. But I got to tell you, the way, the division in our country right now is more intense than I could ever remember in my adult life. And some of you have had more adult life than I have, and maybe you can, I just don't remember it like this. And I was, I remembered reading an op-ed piece in the New York Times, of, it's been about two years ago, and I, as I was thinking about all together in one place, I was reminded of this op-ed piece in um, he, this is before the 2016 election. And the author says, uh, reading the nonstop coverage of what may well be a close presidential election, one might be forgiven for thinking that the political competition is alive and well in America. But look at the majority of states in congressional races, and a different picture emerges. In most places, meaningful, two-party electoral competition is non-existent. Rather than being one two-party nation, listen to this, we are becoming two one-party nations. And I thought, boy, is he ever right, and that was before the election. I remember uh, David's here with us. We were sitting um, at a bar in Haiti. Now, in fairness, it was the only place CNN was on. That's why we were at a bar. Uh, I swear to you, I'm actually, I promise you. We're just looking, it's the election, and we're in Haiti, like, well, now what are we? Because in Haiti, when they have an election, they just start burning stuff. Throwing tires on the road and just burning stuff. They had an election for like four years. Every time we try to leave the city, they're like tires and they're burning stuff. So we thought, well, I don't want to get any place too intense. So, but there was, you know, the hotel had a little bar and we're watching the election. And I mean, we went into this election thinking, well, we'll be done by nine. You know, we'll get up early. So by 3 a.m., we're all still watching going, can you believe this? This is crazy. This is happening this week. Nobody knew it was a nail biter because it was close. And here's the thing, they're all close when it comes to the national level. They're all 50-50. That's why if you're a young person, you hear the the idea of a swing vote, the swing states. That's why the politicians go to these specific states like Ohio or Pennsylvania. Because most of us, let's be honest, we're in Williamson County, so we can make fun of ourselves right now. Murray County, I'm coming for you, so just, uh (laughs) We could run a kitten for president in Williamson County, and as long as it said Republican by it, we'd all, it'd be like a landslide. Because everybody loves kittens, right? <laughs> Republican kittens. Um, but, but this article, what he's saying is, and I'm, I'm making fun of us, because what he's saying is that it's not just that we're politically divisive, it's that we're geopolitically, like geographically divided. That we're no longer, so. He, and he goes on to say that in many of these states that there is no competition when it comes to the state legislature or Congress that most of these elections are won by 15, 16%. So that's why we are here thinking, well, what are you even talking about? Also, why the people like in Marin County in San Francisco are like, what are you talking about? Y'all are crazy. And we're thinking, no, y'all are crazy because we're so divided. That's the country that we're living in right now. And the question for us, what do we do about it if we're Jesus people? What is the answer to a divided nation? And I believe that here in Acts chapter two is a glimpse of that. That the answer to a divided nation is a united church. And I'm not speaking of just conduit church. I'm speaking of the church. So when you go up, you know Concord Road, Brentwood Baptist Fellowship Bible Church. You know, come down a little bit, a couple of exits, just up the road is Gateway Church, Pastor Charlie, uh, New River Fellowship. Just the just the 431 corridor. All of these churches that preach Jesus, him crucified, resurrected on the third day, that's the united that we're talking about. God is doing lots of good things. And when I see this, Acts 2-1, they were all in one place, in one accord. That's the vision that Jesus had for us today, and it's the vision he had for them 2,000 years ago. And here's how I know that. If you would turn to John 17 with me, this is the prequel to Acts 2. Before we ever go through the book of Acts chapter 2, we need to start with John 17 because Jesus, on his last night before he was to be crucified, had his disciples around him. And he tar- starts talking about the Holy Spirit in chapter 14, 15, 16. And then he says, I'm going to pray for you now. And this prayer in John 17 is the prayer that Jesus prayed for his disciples that he then said, but I'm praying it for everybody that will come after that'll believe your testimony. The prayer that he prayed for you. That's the prayer. And I'm not gonna read all of it because of time, but I would encourage you this week in your devotions or time with the Lord to go back and say, man, this is what Jesus, he prayed this for me. Let's start in verse four. I have brought you glory on earth, Jesus speaking to the Father, by finishing the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world began. Let's go to verse nine. I I pray for them, speaking of the disciples, speaking of us. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. And verse 11, I will remain in this world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Do you see a a, a little theme that Jesus is unfolding here in his prayer? Verse 14. I have given them your word. The world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. In verse 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. And then verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, So that the world may believe that you have sent me, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them, and you and me, so that they may be brought into complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me, and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus is praying a prayer for us that would be, we would be unified that we would be on the same page, that we would have the same. He says it in verse 21, that they may all be one. In verse 22, that they may be one just as we are one. In verse 23, I and them, them and me, perfected in unity. That was his prayer. So what we see in Acts chapter two, verse one, is 55 give or take days after Jesus uh, had ascended. And here they are, all together in one place. This is the answer to the prayer that Jesus prayed for them. And what I've seen in this, the clues that Jesus lays out in here, don't you think that if he wants unity, what he's asking for might be the building blocks of unity? So I would suggest to you that, A, the Holy Spirit is the architect, the general contractor, the builder. He is the movement of the Spirit is what unity is being built by, but the building blocks, the materials of it. We're sitting in a building that's got concrete floors, wood walls. That's the building materials of this building. The building materials of the unity that Jesus spoke of is right here in his prayer. And it's mission of love and its message of truth. Verse four and verse 17, it's the mission which is the mission of love, and it is the message, which is the message of truth, which is verse 17. That's the grid that he lays out for us here. The mission, he says, verse four, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. See, when I say unity, the inclination might be to think that we're all supposed to be the same, right? But that's not it, that's uniformity. God created us different. God created Jamie way better looking than me, and that's okay, because that's just what Jesus wanted. We're different. We're supposed to be different. But unity is not about the person, it's about the purpose, the mission that he gave us. I have completed the work that you gave me to do. So the predator, did the Predators win yesterday? Is it okay to talk about the Predators? Okay, just making sure. Because if they had lost, I'm going totally football. The Predators, when you look at a hockey team, there's this whole amalgamation of humanity lined up on the ice, right? You got big ones, you got small ones, you got halfway in between ones. Some of them got their teeth, some of them don't. (laughs) Different backgrounds, most of them Canadian, but they're different, and that's okay. They serve a different purpose, but when they line up on the ice, they are unified around a common goal, which is to get that puck in that goal more times than the other team does on them. There's a friend of mine who's a, a concert promoter from my previous life, uh, and he promotes most of his shows in, in giant arenas. and he, he posted a picture not long ago, and it was, uh, uh, it was a it was a whiteboard in an NBA team that I should remember the team of, but I don't care uh, about NBA. Um, of And it was the coach's mission. So he'd written this on the whiteboard before. The mission, our goal for this game: get the ball in the net more times than the other guys do. That was a professional coach in the NBA. That was the whole plan. <laughs> but what happens is again in the NBA, you got big ones, small ones, you got, the, but they're all when they're lined up, they're unified around the mission, which is to get that ball in the net more times than the other team does. That's what unity is about. We're supposed to be different. That's okay. When you see a marching band, right, walking down the road, because don't we all see a lot of marching bands? I'm sorry. <laughs> Come to Haiti with me in uh, in, in April, right around like the, when they make Easter creepy, whatever that's called, and they got like marching bands everywhere. But they're all making music, but they're all it's all different. You got the tuba, and God bless the tuba guy, carrying that big old thing, and you got the the drums. But they're all doing the same goal, which is the music. And by the way, that word for unity, all together in one accord, in uh, Strong's actually uses it like on a, in terms of music, everybody playing towards the same. Goal with it. That's the mission. And the mission for us as a church, by the way, your mission, our mission, is not to grow our church. If you thought that, that's nice. That was really fun. But you don't have to. That's not our goal. Our goal isn't to grow a big church. Our goal is to grow big people. And then allow the Lord to take and send them wherever He chooses to. It's one of the reasons why we don't have membership at Conduit. Not that we're, I'm not anti-membership. But I feel like if you have to have paperwork to get in here, then you have to have paperwork to leave. And we just rather say that, hey, we're all part of the body of Christ. And we say, you're a member here when you stop saying they and start saying we. If you want a certificate, we could sure get one. I know you can print one, but that's not, the point is there's no longer, when Luke stopped saying they, he starts saying we in the book of Acts, he was on the same mission that they were on. That's all that means. Us understanding the mission. And here's the mission. This is a quote from Ed Stetzer, I don't know if you, what you think of him. I, I actually kind of like him. He does not have a single thought that I know of that is unpublished. But here's what he says the mission of the church is. The mission and responsibility of the church includes both the proclamation of the gospel, preaching the gospel, and its demonstration. From Jesus, we learn the truth is to be proclaimed with authority and lived with grace. The church must constantly evangelize but also respond lovingly to human needs as we all seek the welfare of the city, quoting from Jeremiah 29, 7. By living out, listen to what he says, the implications of the gospel, the missional church offers a verbal defense and a living example of its power. I pray that that's what's said of conduit. When we load semis to help people in hurricane disaster areas around here, that's us demonstrating the actual love of of Christ. When we are sending our money to Haiti, when we are sending our money to Uganda, we just click send this week on another $18,000 wire so that this church will be bought and the well will be drilled. That's us just loving. And here's what I love. The the power of the Holy Spirit in that is that, that Jesus says when they're in unity around this mission, that's how they'll know that I sent you. The best sermon we could preach is not one with my mouth, even though that's an important sermon, but when we preach it with our lives, a divided world seeing united church where I can belong and where I'm loved and where there's truth, that's a sermon in and of itself and one that our nation desperately needs to hear. But it's not just the message of, of, of or the, the mission of love, but the message which comes with it, which is truth. You see, Jesus wasn't just in love, it was also in, in truth. I think it was Warren Wiersbe that says that love without truth is hypocrisy. Truth without love is brutality. They go together. And the message that he gives us is one of truth. And that's verse 17. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify just simply means set aside. My, uh, my daughter Ashley, hi Ash, she's all the way back there, uh, signed up for the Navy, which... If you could, I'm going to ask you for help. This is just desperately, I need... Every time I say that, in my mind, the Village People song, uh, In the Navy, ha- comes... So if you could, I need another song, just because it's... I feel like it disrespects her. But she is being sanctified, set aside for service in the Navy. She's going to be a nuke engineer. Go figure. How'd that happen in our house? Right? We have another... This little church has got two nuke engineers now. Brian Redman... And uh, Shelley Redmond's son Josh is a nuke, uh, studying to be a nuke engineer in Charleston. All that's it. She is sanctified and set aside by this piece of paper that says, I am making a commitment to do this. When he says you're sanctified, that's what he's saying. I'm setting you aside. And how am I setting you aside? By the truth. You see, this little band of ne'er dwells, these tax collectors, fishermen, Coming together in one room, they were set aside by the truth. And what was the truth? That the guy that they had been following that said, I'm going to die, I'm going to be buried, and I'm going to resurrect on the third day, did. That was the truth. And that was the truth that they banded around, that he is who he said he was. And this is important to us in our culture. Because we live in a culture where you will hear with regularity, my truth, your truth. Uh, I've, I've got a friend that I've known for a long time, and uh, she's, she's a pastor, and she says that her theology is based on how it makes her feel. Not whether it's true or not. Like, uh, Let's start with, is it true, and then deal with how it makes me feel. But that's what, what he's saying, is that you're not sanctified by how you feel, but whether it's, it's true or not. And, and I know that I say something like that, and you're like, oh, that's awful, and it, and it is, but it's what Paul said would happen, Second Timothy 4, uh, he says that in those days that the people will set aside for themselves teachers according to their desires who will tell them whatever they want to hear. And Timothy probably read that going, well, how does that work? Because think if you're Timothy... I, teachers in those days gathered around people around them, not people gathering teachers. So in other words, it's like Shannon in the front row is going to gather all the teachers and just put them up here on stage and she's going to pick which one she wants to hear. Gathering teachers around them. That was crazy talk in Paul's time and it was crazy talk up until I got an iPod and podcasts and I realized I can choose my every teacher I want to choose based on what I want to hear based on my desires. And I'm telling you, if you're only choice for who you're listening to as far as Bible teachers and podcasts is based on if they make you feel good or not, you're doing it wrong. It's whether it's true or not. It's dangerous. And what he says is you're gonna be sanctified by what's true or not. When there's many truths, that means there's many visions. And when there's many visions, there is division. And that is a plan straight from the pit of hell, division in the church the thing about the truth is, it can be a little inconvenient. It's not commercially viable. <laughs> I mean, Mike and Anita are here. They're, they're both their boys have played in music bands their whole lives. They've spent some time in Christian bands, and let me tell you, the, the way that those uh, when, in those days when I was managing them, the words were not judged on whether or not they were true, but whether or not they were commercially viable. And here's the problem: the truth isn't commercially viable all the times. So when you've monetized it, it really makes it kind of complicated. But here's a little, a snippet from a book I've been reading called *The Severe Mercy* by Sheldon Vanocken. How's that for a name? I wish my name was Vanocken. Isn't that like a breath? Is that a breath spray, Vanocken? Vanaka, wrong one. Someone should start a breath spray right now and call it Vanocken. This is what Sheldon Van Aken says about the truth, about the resurrection. It's not possible to be, quote, incidentally a Christian, unquote. The fact of Christianity must be overwhelmingly first or nothing. Jesus didn't leave any middle ground for this. This suggests a reason for the dislike. What did Jesus say? I've left my word, I've given you my word, and they hated you for it. This suggests a reason for the dislike of Christians by nominal or non-Christians, and that is their lives contain no overwhelming first, no final, no truth, but many balances. That's Sheldon Vinok, and I think he sums it up absolutely beautiful, that when we speak the truth that it is not going to be popular, we can't judge it based on how it makes us feel, and we sure can't judge it based on whether or not it's popular. It's based on whether or not it's true, and Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father but by me. He left no middle ground for that and then he verified it by resurrecting from the dead. So listen, as a church, we have our mission and we, it is clarified. This is what the goal is. We have a message and that is, we just, it is now amplified because of that. And what happens with that is the movement of the spirit. Acts 2 verse 1, they talked about the spirit falling. Jesus said in uh, verse 18, he's part of his prayer is, you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. John 14, 15, 16 was all about the prayer of the whole, that the Holy Spirit would come. And the question is, with the Holy Spirit, is the unity because of the Holy Spirit, or is the Holy Spirit because of the unity? And the answer, yes. God thrives in paradox. Because they they came together before the Holy Spirit fell on them, but the Holy Spirit was unifying them, and then because they were together, the Holy Spirit falls all over them, and amazing things start to happen. And he begins to build that unity into a church. And you see this over and over again in the book of Acts. They were in one accord and then people were healed. They were in one accord and they were helping the poor. They were in one accord and the gospel was preached. They were in one accord and the Holy Spirit was all over it with them. As a church, not asking for us to be uniform, not at all. I know in this room I'm just looking around right now. I know there are charismatics. I know we got pentecostals. I know we got presbyterians and baptists. We got some Lee University Church of God, folks. We got pentecostals. We've even got Church of Christ, folks. Well, that's Nashville. That's supposed to be funny. Sorry. It wasn't, I guess. My point is We all come together saying that we believe in Jesus Christ, him crucified, him dead, buried, resurrected on the third day, just as the scriptures foretold, unified around the truth, unified around this mission that he gave us to come together and to preach with our mouths and with our lives. There's a unity that the Holy Spirit is growing inside of this church. He's growing inside of this city. I meet with pastors all the time of other churches. And when we know that God has called someone to another church in some place, we cheer them on. I I don't know, maybe that's been that way a long time. That's not how it was where I grew up. But there's a unity in this city that mirrors the unity that's in the world. And when it comes to this old quote from Augustine, 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 There are things that are essential to us and in those things, we do want unity. If you don't believe that Jesus died and resurrected on the third day, as scripture foretold, we love you, we got room for you, but that's important to us. If you don't believe that the Bible is God's word, like how do I know what Jesus said? It's the only place it's recorded is in the Bible, so I can't say I follow Jesus and not follow the Bible. Jesus, who quoted the Old Testament hundreds of times, Like the Bible is an important part of that for us. There's there's an essentialness to that. But you know what? Do you believe that God, the Holy Spirit stopped moving 2,000 years ago or do you believe that he's still healing today? Like I I got, there's room for that here. Our world is so divided, we can't let stuff like that hang us up anymore. We can't afford it. That's not what he called us to. There were Jews and there were Gentiles in Acts 2 verse 1. And here there are people that believe that Arminianism and Calvinism and there's room for all of you here who believe that the Bible is God's word and that Jesus died and resurrected on the third day. We want you here. We want to be all in one place knowing that this mission that he's given us man, people's <laughs> lives depend on it. Your life depends on it. Now you might be thinking, well Darren, but what about the rest of the world? I noticed you, you just talked about how divided the world was and what about them? What do we do about them? Don't you worry about them? And here's why. The enemy, Satan, knows that dividing the church is one of the greatest tools for stopping what what God wants to do. That a divided church, you're sitting in a building right now that about 10, 15 years ago was divided by the enemy. Us being here today is God just sticking it to the enemy. (laughs) But that's Satan's plan. But where do you think he learned it from? Where do you think he learned that when humans are divided, that they are hamstrung? I think he might've learned it from God. In Genesis chapter 11, see if you can smell what I'm stepping in. All the people of the world came together on the plains of Shinar, it tells us. And they came together and they devised a plan. We're gonna build a huge city. We're gonna build this tower and it's gonna reach the sky. And God's it's recorded that God said, said let us, it's Elohim speaking of the Trinity, let us go down there. Which, by the way, if you're a human, the highest tower you can build, the biggest, baddest thing you could build, God still has to come down to it, so you ain't all that. (laughs) God says, let us go down, let us confuse the language, because if they accomplish, if they're all together and they're all united, nothing can stop them. So think with me for a little bit. We're in a country that was born the United States of America, one nation under God, begun by people who came here to build a nation that had freedom of religion where they could practice and follow the Lord. And in the last at least 100 years, that has gone haywire and by the the wayside. But this united, listen, the United States of America united around something that wasn't God, that wasn't Christ. There's nothing that could stop them when these people are united like this. Maybe, just maybe, it was God coming down and dividing us to keep us from accomplishing what we had set out to do. Last week, uh, Dr. Zuckerberg in his little hoodie. Actually, he didn't wear a hoodie. He actually dressed up. He cleaned up real nice. Gets in front of the the Congress and he's testifying. Some of you saw this. And what what I watched, what I saw was he was genuinely befuddled that he had built this tower to the sky, to the clouds, and nobody's getting along on it. I just He said it over and over again. I know it was his talking points. I understand that. But what he was talking about was, I, they're all fighting each other. I don't understand. And you think about it. When you've seen You think about it. Your friends from wherever, and they post something, and you're like, what are they even talking about? I don't even understand what they're saying. God came down and confused the language and divided them. Maybe God has divided that so we're not so worried about, because if, let me tell you what, if you're worried about our country and you're putting the emphasis on our country being our salvation, you've got your faith in the wrong place. And so maybe God has come down to divide us so that we will know that no matter what we do, how we try every which way from Tuesday, there will be no unity. That isn't unity gathered around Jesus. And in our world right now, What do they want? Truth. Fake news, hashtag, what's true? I'm watching this network and they say it's true and then this news network says this is true, but they're talking the exact opposite. The world just wants truth right now. They want belonging and they want to to know that they are loved. And I don't know, of all the stuff that the church has a corner on, love and truth, that's what we have a corner on the market. So listen carefully. As a church, church not just us church when our mission is clarified we know what the goal is our message is amplified the movement of the spirit is magnified we are unified and jesus is glorified that's how they'll know you sent me when they see the unity and i'm so happy to say that our church right now i see it everywhere in our little church I see us loving each other, helping each other when someone's sick. I mean, Miss Kathy was here second service. I don't know how she was here. hand been sewed up. People taking her meals, loving on her. When we see, I mean, you guys just came back from Kenya, right? I mean, Chris and Jennifer, they're drilling wells over there. They're building schools. People are seeing that and going, man, I want a part of that. That's what he said would happen. they will see you. They'll know by your love. For each other, our mission. And the miracles of the book of Acts, I still think happen. I've seen them, that one couple of them happened to me in my lifetime. But you know, the greatest miracle is unity. When a group of Jesus people come together and share their stuff, when they give radically, when they invest passionately in each other, that is a way greater miracle. There's way more of the Spirit. Would you stand with me? I want to pray for you. I know what time it is and we got But my prayer for us today is that we would remember like the book of acts, all the crazy stuff going on in the world, we are in this together. In the words of the great Jim Morrison, ain't none of us getting out of here alive. We are in this together. That's what Jesus' promise was for us. That's what the book of Acts started. It's what we are experiencing even here and I pray in greater numbers of, of blessing in our church family that our unity that the Holy Spirit, I believe, is gonna fall all over us and do great things in this city and in the world around us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I join Jesus' as prayer today. I pray that we would be one as you were one we would know that the way that you looked at Jesus as he came off of the cross, out of the tomb, the way that you looked at him with love and with pride, and that's the way you look at us, loved. That was Jesus' prayer, and that's my prayer today for us. Lord, would you show us how we can amplify that message into our community, the city in front of us and the world around us, It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Amen. Guys, have a great week. Be blessed. We love you. And we'll see you next week, if not, hopefully before.